Good morning, Central Church, and all of you that are joining us live this morning on our live stream, whether it's Facebook Live or our church website, we're glad that you're joining us on this Memorial Day weekend. And we pause for a minute to consider our freedom. We pause for a minute to be thankful and grateful for those uh, that have paid the ultimate price as men and women of uniform to protect us as a nation, to, to keep the, the liberties and the freedoms that we have intact. Um, Memorial Day is a day to, to honor and remember those soul and, uh, uh, fallen soldiers, uh, men and women, uh, that have paid the ultimate sacrifice. Jesus said, greater love has no man that, that he would give his life for his friends. Would you just take a moment with me and pray? Lord, we are a grateful people this morning. Uh, and we pray this morning, God, for families around our nation that may still be grieving the loss of uh, sons and daughters, brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles that have given their life in the cause of service uh, in our nation. And we pray for comfort, that, that the Holy Spirit would be with them this day in this time of remembrance. And Lord, we, we, th we say thank you to you, Lord, for the freedoms we have in this nation. We, we don't take them for granted. We pray that they would be sustained and continued in Christ's name. Amen. So this is graduation day for uh, high school seniors in Sioux Falls. If you are a high school senior, would you stand up if you're graduating? We just want to recognize you real quick. Stand up, seniors. Come on. There we go. One, two, three. All right. Keep standing. Keep standing. I want to pray for you. Up there. Good. Stay standing. There we go. Fantastic. We are proud of you guys. Uh, a lot of hard work. Very weird year, I'm sure, uh, with the pandemic and everything. So way to push through. Way to hang in there. Uh, I don't know what all of your next steps are, uh, but God does, and he's got a good future for you, so we want to pray for you now. Lord, thank you for these uh, men and women that have completed this leg of the journey in their life. Uh, Lord, thank you for getting them through. I'm sure parents are grateful at times wondering, are they ever going to make it to this point? And Lord, we thank you for the perseverance, and pray, Lord, for the next steps, that your blessing and your grace would rest on each one as they continue to follow you and your plan and purpose for their life, that you'd make it clear and clear in the next few weeks, months, and years. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. We value you. Thanks for standing. When you came in this morning, you got a white bulletin insert, and, and if you tear the perforation on that, the, you can write down your prayer request on the top of one of those um, sheets, and if you, if you need prayer, someone needs prayer in your life, when you exit today, just tear that off and drop it in the box attached to the wall that says, prayer requests and offerings. And if you have a physical offering that you want to worship the Lord with this morning, cash or a check, you can drop that off in the very same box. Would you pray with me now as we just open our hearts to God's Scripture? Lord, thank you for the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you that you, you promised to be with us when we gather in your name. And so, Lord, we know that you're here. We pray that you'd open our minds to the truth of your word. We pray that we'd understand it. We pray that we would hear your voice through Scripture today, and apply it in our lives, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you have a Bible, turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 10. The Gospel of John, if you find the New Testament, you're, you're almost there. It's the fourth book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. Put your finger in chapter 10 or stick your bulletin in chapter 10. We'll be there in just a minute. We live in a country that's consumed by fear. Fear of sickness, fear of death, fear of financial collapse, fear of evil and wickedness overtaking us. What's your fear today? As you're honest before the Lord in your own heart, what, 
What are you worried about? What are you fearful of in your life today? We're, we're obsessed in our culture with the need for security and protection from harm. Um, we buy all kinds of security systems. We buy, we buy security systems for our home. We, we buy them for our car. We buy them for our computers. We don't want anybody breaking in. We don't want anybody taking what belongs to us. I got a new car about, about a year ago, and the safety features on this car are ridiculous. I mean, it's incredible. So if I'm driving down the street and I begin to, to, to drift into the lane next to me, if I cross a broken line or a solid line, it beeps and lets me know you're, you're drifting. Dude, wake up. Pay attention. There's a setting on my car. I can set it so that if I do begin to drift, it pulls me back automatically into the lane. Either side, it'll just pull me right back in. When I back up, when I put the car in reverse, there's a camera in the back of my car, and I've got a, a screen in front, and it shows me what's happening back there. And if there's any movement toward my car on either side, it beeps and says, stop, you know, hold on. Something's happening back there. Um, for safety and security, I mean, to, to help us stay safe on the road. I'm just going to throw this picture up here. Because this pretty much summarizes most parenting philosophies today. If she gets on the bike, if he gets on the bike, knee pads, elbow pads, helmet, we're going to make sure dad holding her so she doesn't fall over because we don't want any scraped knees, any scraped elbows, any owies, any hurts, right? We're so protective of, of our kids. Nothing wrong with protecting your kids. Don't be overly protective. You know why? Because God doesn't parent like that. Has anybody noticed that? that, that God doesn't put knee pads on us and elbow pads on us and helmets on. God sort of lets us wreck a little bit and skin our knees and skin our elbows and get hurt a little bit. Adversity can be a really good teacher. Put that slide back up. Could that girl even ride that bike fast enough to where if she fell, she'd actually get hurt? I mean, seriously, how fast could she possibly go on that little bike, right? See, when I was growing up, and it wasn't that long ago that I was growing up, if you didn't have... If you didn't have uh, skins on, your, on both knees and on your elbows, you didn't, you didn't earn the right to get on a bike. Come on now. Those were good days. Parents didn't hold you on the bike. They, they didn't even care. Just go out and ride the bike if you crash, whatever. We drank out of the garden hose too, and we're still alive. So, I mean, you know, we, we overly protect sometimes, but there's this, this fear in us that wants to protect. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with wanting to protect your kids. And then there's the pandemic. This is Jeff's opinion, not the church's opinion. You, don't have, you can totally disagree with my opinion. I believe that most decisions that were made during the pandemic were made out of fear. Whether, whether it was locking down businesses, locking down states, whether it was closing churches, closing restaurants, closing schools, mask mandates, whatever. I, I believe most of that was motivated by fear. And I don't believe that the pandemic created fear. I believe the pandemic exposed the fear already in our hearts. The fear of death, the fear of disease, the fear of harm, the fear of going without, the fear of financial... I think the fear was already in there, and the pandemic sim simply exposed it and brought it to the surface in our lives. It's, it's absolutely no wonder to me that one of the, the main metaphors of God in Scripture is a shepherd, because shepherds bring security to sheep that are fearful. And God wants us to know Him as a shepherd. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11 says this, he, meaning God, will feed his flock like a shepherd. 
He will carry the lambs in his arms, holding them close to his heart. If that doesn't give you security as, as a Christ follower, I don't know what Scripture could. He holds you tightly to his chest. He carries you in his arms. He will gently lead the mother's sheep with their young. He's got the whole flock under his care. God is a shepherd. And there's Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything that I need. I don't go without anything that I need in my life because the Lord is my shepherd. There's absolutely no question in my mind that one of the main metaphors of God in Scripture is a shepherd because we're so fearful, we're so anxious, we're so worried about things in our life that we need to know there's a shepherd that will care for us. And that's what we see in John chapter 10. In John chapter 10, Jesus reveals himself as the good shepherd. And we want to unpack this morning what that means. What does it mean that Jesus is your shepherd? If you turn to John chapter 10 with me, if you, if you need a Bible, there's probably one in the seat back pocket in front of you or under a seat up front here if you want to follow. I'd love for you to follow with me the, the Scripture reading this morning. Little little context for you. In, in John chapter 8, we were a couple weeks ago talking about the Feast of Tabernacles. Jesus was there. And at the end of chapter 8, it says that Jesus left the temple. And, and into chapter 9 and into ch- chapter 10, it never says he comes back to the temple. We don't know when he came back, but he did come back. We know that this is at least two months later in chapter 10 because verse 22 says it was the festival of Hanukkah or the festival of lights, which happens in December. And so this is, this is a couple months after we read about what Jesus was doing in chapter 8, but the context is the same. It's, it's the temple area. Jesus seems to be speaking to the same audience. There, there, are, there are common Jews there for the festival, but there's also Jewish leaders, the Pharisees. Remember, the Pharisees hated Jesus. They they were trying to kill him. And so Jesus launches in in, in chapter 10, verse 1, this discourse about shepherds and sheep. So let's pick that up in verse 1. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the, the door of the sheepfold but climbs up another way is a thief and a robber. He who enters by the door of the sheep is the shepherd. And to him the doorkeeper or the gatekeeper opens the gate And the sheep hear the shepherd's voice. The shepherd calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out of the sheepfold. When he puts all of his own sheep out in front of him, he he goes before them. He doesn't stand behind and drive them, but he goes in front of them and leads them. And the sheep follow him because they know the voice of the shepherd. Verse 5, a stranger, the, the one who's not their shepherd, they won't follow him. They'll flee from him because they don't recognize or know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, but they didn't understand really what he was saying, so he clarified in verse 7. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the the gate or the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door or the gate. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. It's Jesus saying there's only one way to salvation. It's through me. I'm the doorway. Later in chapter 14, he'll say, I'm the way, the way, the truth, and the life. The only way to to the Father is through me. Similar metaphor here. He says, I'm the door that you have to enter into to enter into God's kingdom. Then verse 10, he says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life, even life to the full or abundant life. Now, pause there for a second because that's the motivation of the shepherd. As we talk about Jesus, our shepherd... He's going to lead us to the the best life possible. As the shepherd, he wants to give us abundant life or life to the full. 
So when we, when we talk about following the voice of the shepherd or following Jesus Christ, our shepherd, know where he's leading you. He's leading you to the best life possible. He's leading you to the best place in your life. Verse 11, then Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, a reference to the cross. Jesus would die to save the sheep. Verse 12, he who is a hired hand, not the shepherd, he's not the owner of the sheep, when he sees the wolf coming, he leaves the sheep and runs away. And the wolf or the predator snatches the sheep and scatters them. Why does he flee? He flees because he's a hired hand and he's not concerned about the sheep because he doesn't own them. Verse 14, Jesus reiterates, I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay my life down for the sheep. Skip down to verse 27. Jesus continues with this shepherd-sheep theme. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. We'll come back to these verses. Now, today's a family worship Sunday, so if you are here and you're in elementary school, you probably on the way in got one of these blue sheets. I want you to do a couple things for me. We're going to talk today about sheep and shepherds. Jesus is the shepherd. I want you to, to draw, draw for me a sheep, or maybe more than one sheep. I want you to draw there a sheep, because you are a sheep. You are a little sheepy that's following the Lord. And then I want you to draw, in addition to that, and if you're an adult, you can draw too. Just steal their blue sheet if you want to do it or whatever. I want you to draw a shepherd. Now, this is hippie Jesus, shepherd. So I want you to draw a sheep, and I want you to draw a shepherd. And that's going to kind of be the, the baseline for our story today. So how is Jesus like a shepherd? He said, I'm the good shepherd. In what ways is he like the shepherd? If you're taking notes this morning, I want to share four quick thoughts about that. The first is, he calls me personally. He calls me personally. Look at what he says in verse 3. To him, the shepherd, the doorkeeper, opens the gate of the sheepfold. The sheep listen to his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, by name, and leads them out of the sheepfold. The call of Jesus to follow him is an individual call to people. It's unique to you. He, he calls you by name. You are an individual, and he knows you, and he invites you or calls you into his kingdom. When you, when you see the word call, just think the word invite. To, to call us by name is to invite us into a life of, of following Jesus. So who gets the call? Who gets called by Jesus to follow him? Well, some would teach that only a few only a select few that God determines gets the call. That, that some get called by God and some don't. And, and the ones who don't, it's just a mystery. We don't know why God didn't call them, but he didn't, and it's just tough for them. I don't believe that. I don't believe that the Bible teaches that. I believe that the Bible teaches that the invitation or the call to God's ki kingdom goes out to everybody, but not everybody responds. So, we already learned in John 3, 16, God so, God so loved the world, the cosmos, everybody in the world that he gave his son. Not a few. He so loved the world. Paul says later in, in his gospel, God wills or desires that none would perish, but all would come to repentance. All would come to a knowledge of the truth. God, God intends that all would receive the invitation. 
but not all respond. So when Peter, on the day of Pentecost, when he's preaching to hundreds of Jews in Jerusalem, and he's preaching this sermon in in chapter 2, verse 39 of the book of Acts, Peter says this to, to the Jews. He says, the promise of salvation, the promise of the Spirit and salvation is for all of you. He doesn't distinguish. He says, it's for you. He's preaching this sermon. And it's for your children, all of your children. And not just you that are here right now, not just the Jews, but it's for all who are far off. That's a reference to Gentiles. It's it's an invitation to Jews, and it's an invitation to Gentiles, all that the Lord calls. The invitation, I believe, goes to everyone, even if everyone doesn't respond, And Jesus tells a parable in Matthew chapter 22 to explain this principle. Let me tell you about the story. The story's about a king, and he's throwing a a, a wedding reception or a wedding feast or banquet for his son. And and like you do when you're planning weddings, I just met a couple getting married here in July, and I'm sure the invitation list has already been made. You make an invitation list. Who are you going to invite to this celebration? And the king makes a list. And he sends his servant out on the day of the feast and says, hey, go to everyone that we invited, tell them the feast is ready. So the servants go out. And they start going to the people that had been on the invitation list, the VIP list. And they start making excuses. The servants say, hey, today's the day, come on. And they're, well, I got, I got some farm stuff I got to do today. Oh, I got a business to take care of today. Oh, I got, I got family issues going on. I, I'm busy at work. I'm busy, busy, busy. And they decline. They say no. And so we pick it up in verse 8 of this story of the king and his, and his son and the wedding feast. And we, we see this. And so the king said to his servants, well, the food's ready. We can't let this food go to waste. And the guests that I invited aren't worthy of the honor. So now go out to the street corners and invite who? Everyone. Say it again. Everyone. Everyone. Just go out and find bodies. People that are hungry that will, that will eat this food. Go out and invite everyone that you see. So the servants brought in everyone they could find. And then it says good and bad. Good people and bad people. People that you want to hang around with and people that you don't want to hang around with. Morally good and morally bad people in society. They all got invited to this feast. And the banquet hall, it says, was filled with guests. But when the king came in to meet the guests, he noticed a man who wasn't wearing the proper clothes for a wedding. And he says, friend, how is it that you are here without wedding clothes? But the man had no reply. He didn't didn't know how to respond. The king said to his aides, bind his hands and feet and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, this is a story about the kingdom of God and eternal life. Eternal life with God and eternal life separated from God. When when it says, bind his hands and feet and throw him into outer darkness, that's into hell. That's separation from God. Why did this guy get cast out of this meeting just for wearing the wrong clothes? Now, the other people turned it down because they had other excuses. I'm too busy. I'm living my life. This guy just thought, I'm just going to come to this wedding on my own terms. I'm going to dress however I want. I'm going to live the life that I want. And God says, no, you have to be in the right clothing to be in the kingdom. And the right clothing is you have to be forgiven by the Lord Jesus Christ and clothed in Christ and the garments of salvation. You can't come on your own terms. You have to come on God's terms. If you think that you can just dress however you want, live however you want, do whatever you want, 
God's going to say, sorry, there was a protocol. You had to put faith in Christ and cast you out. So, so then the, the punchline to this, to this whole story, usually parables, the, the last line, Jesus says, this is what it means, and, and it's true in this parable as well. So it says, for many are called, in this case, everyone. Everyone was invited, but few are chosen. Many are called, few are chosen. A contrast between those who are called and those who are chosen. Now, in Ephesians chapter 1, it says that we were chosen by God in Christ before the foundation of the world. In other words, we become the chosen of God. We become the chosen people of God in Christ. In Christ, we are the chosen. Many are called, few are chosen. Few become the chosen of God in Christ. So you've been invited. Every one of you, by name, personally, Jesus the shepherd invites you. The question is, what's your response to the invitation? I don't really want to do it God's way. I want to wear my own clothes and do my own thing and live my own life. I, I, I'm just, I've got a lot going on. and I've got business and friend, things to take care of. I don't really have time for religion or God in my life. You make the decision. But, but Jesus is a shepherd that calls you by name and invites you to follow him and invites you to, your, to his kingdom. You, you make the choice. The second truth about Jesus as a shepherd is that he he leads me intimately. He leads me intimately. One of the great themes in the Gospel of John is that Jesus says that, that his disciples know him. His disciples hear his voice. His disciples know his voice and recognize his voice and discern his voice. Look at verse 4. Jesus said, it says, when, when the shepherd puts his sheep outside the sheepfold, he goes ahead of them and he leads them, and the sheep follow him because what? They, they know his voice. They recognize the voice of the shepherd. The shepherd <clears throat> in a community sheepfold would walk up. There would be several, <clears throat> excuse me, several flocks of sheep. The shepherd calls his sheep. Those sheep know his voice, they recognize his voice, and those sheep will come to him. There's lots of, go on YouTube and watch videos about sheep coming to the voice of the shepherd. It's amazing. Any, anybody else can, can call them, and they won't look at him, they won't come. Then the shepherd steps up, and he calls, and the sheep come right to him. They, they recognize the voice. Look in verse 27. My sheep listen to my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. These scriptures to me are startling. They are, they are shocking when you think about this truth for a minute with me. Sheep are not intelligent animals. They're kind of dumb. When you compare the, the intellect of a sheep with the intellect of a human, there's no comparison. Absolutely no comparison. The intellectual ability of a sheep compared to a human. And yet the, Jesus says sheep are able in their limited capacity to recognize the, recognize the voice of a human shepherd. Sheep in their simplicity, their simple minds, can recognize and discern the voice of their shepherd and follow. Now watch. What about our intellect and our minds compared to God's? How smart are you compared to God? That's why he calls us sheep in the Bible, because compared to God, we're not very smart right? And yet in our, in our humanity, in our limited understanding, 
we are able to discern and recognize the voice of Almighty God. What an incredible truth that, that we have the ability to recognize that voice. My sheep, they hear my voice and they follow. One of the, the reasons that's, that's so important is because when you recognize the voice of your shepherd, you don't fear anymore because you know that he's with you. Whatever, whatever danger was there is no longer a danger when you know the shepherd is with you because he will protect you and guard you from anything that could be a harm to you. He leads you intimately away from danger and away from harm. So David says in Psalm 23, 4, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In verse 4, he says, even though I walk through the valley of deep darkness, I will fear no evil. Listen, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil because you are, say it again, with me. Why does David not fear the valley of the shadow of death? Why does David not fear as a sheep the predators that might come out and attack him and kill him and harm him because he knows the shepherd's there because he recognizes the shepherd's voice. Your rod and your staff, they, they comfort me. It's in, the, it's in the times of darkness and despair and fear in life that we need to hear the voice of the shepherd saying, I'm here. It's okay. When, when you walk through chemotherapy and you're wondering how you're going to make it through, how many of you know you need to hear the voice of the shepherd saying, I'm here, and I'm walking with you, and I'm strengthening you? When, when your child is walking in rebellion, and you're hopeless, and you, you don't know where this is going to go, what's going to happen in your life, you need, you, know, you need to hear the voice of the shepherd saying, I'm here. I'm working in this situation. I'm working in your life. The nearness of the shepherd brings peace in our life. When, when your marriage is struggling, when things are going haywire in your life, when you're unemployed, when you don't know financially where things are going, when you feel the nearness of the shepherd because you identify his voice in your life, it makes all the difference. So Shirlene and I, my wife, have a, a friend in California. Her name's Judy. And Judy was married to Bob, and, and, and Bob and Judy and Shirlene and I were really good friends. We'd go down and ride bikes at Huntington Beach. We went out to dinner all the time. We were in each other's homes and cared, cared for each other, loved each other, great friends, went to the same church. And Bob got cancer, and not long after Bob's diagnosis, he died. It was a quick, aggressive, moving cancer. And so Judy was, was left a widow, and, and they had a big home. They, they had a big family that, that had moved out. They had grown up, but when they came back to stay with them, they wanted to have plenty of room and bedrooms for them, so big house. And, and Judy shared with us that after Bob died, it was, just, it was just kind of weird and eerie being in that big house all by herself. And she said sometimes she'd go to bed and just lay in bed afraid fearful and anxious that she's there by herself, Bob's not there anymore to take care of her. And she said in those, in those moments, she said she would get her computer out and she, she'd open it and she'd go to Central's website and she'd, she'd click on one of my teachings. And she said, just, just the voice recognition of someone that I know loved me uh, put me at peace and I'd be able to fall asleep. And I said, I have that effect on my congregation. It's interesting that you say that. <laughs> that that when I begin to speak, they begin to sleep. It's just an interesting phenomenon. I have that gift to be able to put people to sleep. What are you walking through right now? What is the valley of deep darkness? David said he was able to fear no evil 
because he knew the shepherd was with him. He recognized the voice of the one that was walking through life intimately with him. The third thing is, um, related to the shepherd, is he, he sustains me continually. The shepherd does. He sustains me continually. What does that mean? It means that he, he meets all of our needs. Did you know sheep aren't stressed when the shepherd's around? Sheep don't get stressed about food. Sheep don't get stressed about water. Sheep don't get stressed about laying down. and They don't get stressed about protection. When the shepherd is there, there's this innate understanding that they're going to be okay, that the shepherd's going to meet all of their needs. So Psalm 23, verses 1 through 3. David's, remember, David was a shepherd. So David understood the role of a shepherd. Then he reverses it and applies that to God in his life. And he says, God's like my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I, I, don't, ha- I don't have any needs. David's like, as a shepherd, I take care of all of the needs of my flock, everything they need, food, drink, rest, healing. I take care of it for them. And the Lord's like that in my life. I don't have any needs. He lets me lie down in green pastures. That means the Hebrew word for grass there or pasture is deshay. It was the thick, green, lush grass. It was like a, like a soft bed that the sheep could lay down and find rest in. And it was also good eating grass so they could, they could get fat on the fat, deshay grass. He, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the quiet waters. He finds the, 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 the place of the river where there's not a high current so the sheep could walk out into the river and safely drink and refresh themselves. He leads me beside the quiet waters. He restores my soul when the, when the sheep would get thorns and thistles in their fur or, or ticks would eat them up or they'd have some other physical problem, they'd break a leg. The shepherd restored their lives. The shepherd brought healing to them, whether it was anointing them on their, on their face to get the ticks off or whatever. The shepherd healed their brokenness and he took care of their life. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for the sake of of his name. Sheep don't stress, but we do, don't we? We stress about what, what we're going to eat and what we're gonna, how we're going to live and what job are we going to have and are we going to get sick and are we going to die and what's, what's going on in our life. Sheep don't do that because the shepherd leads them and guides them. Now, sheep don't know where they need to go. Sheep don't know where to find food. Sheep don't know where to find water. Sheep don't, don't, don't know where to find a safe pasture to graze in. They, they don't know, but the shepherd does. And so the shepherd leads them to the safe place. The shepherd leads them where they can eat and where they can drink. They don't, they don't know how to get there, but they're, they're at peace because of the shepherd. Now, we don't know how to get to the abundant life. We don't know how to get through life like, like we need to, but God knows where he wants us to go. Remember, he's leading us to the place of abundance. So you may not know how to get there, but God knows how to get you there. When, when I graduated from high school, All I wanted to do was play college basketball. I just wanted a a scholarship to play basketball somewhere in college. I started doing campus visits. I went to private non-Christian schools. I went to Christian schools, a number of them, trying to get a scholarship. No scholarships except one, Azusa Pacific University, a Christian institution in Southern California, just one. I wasn't walking with Christ. I had made a decision for Christ in middle school, but, but by high school, I had really walked away from the Lord. I was not following him. I was living my own life. Azusa Pacific, okay, I can play ball there. They've got a good team. That's great. That's, that's all I wanted to do. So I went there and, and started playing for a very godly Christian coach. And after a few months and his influence and the influence of some other people on campus and off campus, I recommitted my life to Christ. 
gave my heart, never looked back since then. Man, that was a turning point in my life, being at Azusa Pacific. It, it was at Azusa Pacific University that I felt the call to full-time ministry. That, that launched my life in a new direction. I, was, I had a different major going in a different direction, and God called me to the ministry at Azusa Pacific. And this amazingly beautiful woman, for some reason, said she would be my wife at Azusa Pacific University. How many of you know God knows what you need, and he leads you there even if you don't know? So I don't know, I don't know what, what's going on in your life, but I know this. If you're, if you're connected to Jesus Christ, your good shepherd, he is leading you where you need to go. Follow him. He's leading you to a place of abundance in your life. Do you, do you know that, that if you are, are, as a sheep, headed for a dangerous cliff, that the shepherd will try to redirect you? He'll try to direct you away from that cliff? Sometimes we think, this is, the, this is the right direction for my life. This is where I want to go. And he's going, stop, no. And you know what he does? He sends people into your life to say, stop, no, this is not the right direction. You don't want to go there. And you know what? Maybe today you need to listen. Maybe you need today to listen to the people that God has put in your life saying, this is a destructive path. This is not the path you want to go on. You're going to go over the cliff and really hurt yourself, and the shepherd doesn't want you to go in that direction. Do you know the shepherd cares so much about you that if you will not on your own choose to rest, he will make you rest. He makes me lie down in green pastures. And when God makes you rest, you may not like it. You, you may not like sitting in a hospital bed for two weeks, but if that's the only way God can get you to slow down and stop, so we can say, hey, now we have some time to talk. Now we have some time to interact because you've just been so busy and ignoring me, and I love you, and I want a relationship with you. Maybe God has to slow you down to get your attention. See, he, he leads us intimately, and he, and he supplies our needs continually in life. The last thing I want to talk about this morning is this, this fear of eternity. Um, he, he protects me eternally. He, here's what I found with a lot of Christians. And so if you're in this camp, you're, you're in a big camp. It, people accept Christ, people become Christians. And then at some point later on, they question whether they're saved. They question their salvation. Why do we do that? Why do we come to these points in life where we, we doubt that we're saved? Maybe it, it was in how we came to Christ so maybe you, you, you prayed a prayer, and it was like, well, did I say the right thing? Maybe I didn't pray the right way. Maybe I'm not saved because I didn't use the right words. Or, or uh, maybe, maybe I, I needed to do it publicly. I just did it privately on my own. Maybe I need to publicly confess. Maybe I need to be baptized. Or, or maybe, maybe you just don't, you don't feel saved anymore. Like when you first became a Christian, like you felt God's love and you felt forgiveness and you felt intimate with God and now you don't feel that anymore. Like where did that go? Or, or maybe now you're trapped in a sin as a Christian. You're sinning and it's like, I, I don't know if God, I think I lost my salvation. I don't know if God can accept me and love me knowing that I do these things. I, I don't know what it is in your life, but we come to these places of fear, fear for our eternal life. So what do we do in those moments? How do we handle those, those seasons of doubt when it's like, am I really saved? Did I pray the right prayer? Can God for, really forgive all of my sin? I want to suggest we, we revisit three things. The first is this. We, we revisit God's grace. We go back and we, we revisit His grace. See, here's what Paul said in, in 2 
uh, in, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. By grace, you've been saved through faith. Now, faith is a belief. It's, it's not a feeling. By, by, by grace, you've been saved through believing. And this is not of yourselves. It's not something you did. It's not something you, you didn't do. It, it, it's a gift. It's a gift of God. Not as a result of what you did so that no one can boast. In other words, if, if salvation was doing a certain thing a number of times or, or, or acting in a certain way, then you could honestly say, because I did this, I'm saved. Be, because I did this, I earned God's salvation in my life. And Paul wants us to know this is a gift. This, this is not by human effort. This is not by any good thing that you did. It's simply God offering you, you a, few, a free gift and you accepting that. It's, it's not by your behavior. So, Good behavior didn't get you into God's kingdom, and bad behavior is not going to get you out of God's kingdom. You didn't get in because of what you did, and you're not going to get out because of what you do. It's grace. So maybe revisit grace. Maybe you need to revisit God's presence in your life. John not only wrote the gospel, but he wrote other letters in the New Testament. And in 1 John chapter 4, verse 13, he says this, God has given us His Holy Spirit as proof or evidence that we live in Him and He lives in us. The, the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of the Christian is evidence that we are in Christ, that we know Him. So we experience forgiveness. There's a genuine sense of God's cleansing and forgiveness in our life that the Holy Spirit brings. The Holy Spirit brings peace in our life. The Holy Spirit fills our heart with the love of God, Scripture says. The Holy Spirit gives us hope. The Holy Spirit, like Jesus is talking about, speaks to us. We, we hear God speaking to us. We, we recognize the Holy Spirit's presence in our life in some way. That's evidence that we're saved. Maybe we need to revisit God's presence in our lives. And the third thing is maybe the most important. <clears throat> I think we need to revisit God's Word. Revisit God's Word. Because faith is not a feeling, it's a belief. It's a conviction. And so, Paul says this in, in Romans, <clears throat> excuse me, Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is your Lord. So you, you submit to him. You accept that, that Christ, you're the leader of my life. At some point in time, you did that. You confess that Jesus is your Lord. And believe in your heart, <clears throat> excuse me, that God raised him from the dead. You'll be saved. Okay, have, have you confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord? You accepted him. Asked him to forgive your sin. You believe that he was a sinless sacrifice that went to the cross and God raised him from the dead? You, you believe those things? Listen to what Paul says. For, the, for, for with the heart, a person believes, resulting in righteousness or acceptance with God. And with the mouth, he confesses, resulting in salvation. So maybe we need to go back and see what does God's word say? Not how do I feel, but, but the word of God says if I... If I confess with my mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, I'll be saved. So we go back to God's word. We revisit and say, okay, I did that. And hopefully in God's word, we find the assurance of our salvation. But, but there's one last thing. Let's go to verse 28 and 29. So the very end of this teaching, Jesus says this, and I give them, his sheep, eternal life and they will never perish. He's not talking about physical life. He's talking about spiritual life. In other words, they will be with me forever. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. 
no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, the sheep, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Okay, what does that mean? All right, this is you. This is blonde you. Some of you have always wanted to be blonde. You're now blonde, and this is you, okay? And Jesus says, when you trust in him for salvation, you put your life in his hand. You give your life over to him, and you start following him. And you are now in Christ's hand. And he says, I close my hand on you, and no one can snatch you out of my hand. How many of you believe the grip of Jesus is pretty strong? He said, nobody can take you from me. If you give me your life, I love you so much, I'm going to close my hand over you and keep anything from separating me from you. But as if that wasn't enough, Jesus went on. And he said, and the Father, he takes his hand and he puts it over my hand. And the Father is greater than all. And nobody can snatch you out of the Father's hand. So you tell me, if you're in the grip of Jesus Christ, and you're in the grip of the Father, who can rip you out of his grasp? Scripture says no one. Demons can't. Satan can't. You can't. Because here's the deal. When you give your life to Jesus, he loves you so much, he closes his hand on you, the Father closes his hand on you, he ain't letting you go. You can make mistakes, you can sin, you can, you can have hard times in your life, but he's got a hold of your life, and you don't need to fear losing your salvation because of the grip of God. You're in the grip of love. You're in the grip of grace in Christ. Remember, it's not what you do. It's what Jesus did for you. And when you surrender your life to that, his love is not letting go. So let me ask this morning. Jesus calls and invites everyone. He's called you by name. Maybe for the first time that you're hearing this call. How are you going to respond? Are you going to say yes to Jesus Christ, to following him and entering into his kingdom? Or are you going to make excuses? Are you going to try to come on your own terms? There's only one way to heaven. It's through Jesus Christ submitting to him. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? And if you're here this morning and you would like to receive Jesus Christ, you'd like that abundant life, that new life, that full life that God is offering to you, you can receive it in this moment but by praying to him and saying, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. Just pray that in your heart. I know that I've fallen short of your expectations. I've sinned. But but I want to make my life right. I want you to forgive me, and I want to be right before you. So forgive me, Lord. And give me the Holy Spirit, please, Lord. Fill me with your Spirit so that I, I know and I'm convinced that I'm right with you. And I can live the life you want me to live. Save me, Lord Jesus. I confess now that you're the leader of my life. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? What if you approach this week with a picture in your mind that God is your shepherd and you don't need to fear going without, you don't have to fear death, you don't have to fear disease because the shepherd is with you. So as you leave this morning, if you have a prayer request, Go ahead, or an offering, go ahead and drop that in the box on the way out. Uh, if you need prayer this morning, if there's an issue in your life that you'd like someone to pray with you, 
Maybe it's an area of fear or anxiety. We have some folks that will pray with you in confidence. They're going to be up at the altar area right after the service. Make your way down if you need prayer. Don't leave without getting prayer. The people you're with will wait for you to get a word of, of prayer. And as you head into the week, remember the Lord is your shepherd. And so you have everything that you need. He makes you lie down in green pastures. He leads you beside still waters. And he restores your soul. He carries you like a lamb in his arms, holding you close to his chest. The Lord is your shepherd. You have everything that you need. Amen. God bless you today.